Game, a podcast dedicated to the Premier League, the A-League and more. Today on the show, Nick's in after some Fijian messy magic was almost enough to take down the Vuck in front of a packed Eden Park crowd. Real Vajrid and the UEFA Mafia steal the headlines and PSG steal the points at Old Trafford. And is it too late now to sack Sari? Chelsea Corner is back. I'm Colby and we're back in City Road this week and back by popular demand. George is here. How are you, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Anticipation's high after that big poll uh, during during the week on Facebook. Yeah, very big poll, but uh, we've heard some news about the integrity <laughs> of the poll, which uh, which may cu- put those results into question. Which Same. brings us to Tommy, also back. I was just going to say, is this is this contentious now that eighty percent of the viewers want George to be slammed this week? Yeah, viewers. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anything's contentious about it at all. But why don't we kick off with our moment of the week first? We'll let George uh, stew a little bit more before we get to the Chelsea corner. Um, Tommy, what stood out for you this week? My moment of the week this week was um, one pulled out uh, straight from the Andy Corpinitis um, kit bag, this one. Uh, overnight, I had Juventus playing Frosinone uh, in uh, the Italian uh, Serie A. And you had uh, Paolo Dibola has scored an absolute screamer from what seemed like almost maybe 40 yards out. Now, that's probably just enough for Andy. He's probably already sort of in the fetal position on the ground, just sort of uh, giddily smiling at the at the ceiling enough. Did Andy that, ever tell you about the time he dis- he discovered Dybala? <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much on a weekly basis. I think. Yeah, I think, he's, I think he's told the listeners a few times. But we'll just get, <laughs> get it back on the record. Does that make him Andy's um, Paolo Dybala now? Or? Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. Uh, anyway, so look, I, there's probably not much more that needs to be said other than this was an absolute peach from about yeah 35 maybe even 40 uh, 40 yards out from goal. Uh, it'll be on Facebook and um, sorry more than games Facebook and Twitter this evening though for for everyone to have a look at. But it's an absolute peach. Make sure you don't miss it. Tasty, George. Moment of the week. Yeah, um, boys. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> I was just distracted by something. I'll, I'll bring it up in a sec. But. Um, <laughs> It, uh, it's, it's also an Italian-themed uh, moment of the week. Uh, Nicola Zaniolo for Roma, who scored two goals uh, in the Champions League against uh, FC Porto. So 19 years old, under-20 under Italian international. The uh, youngest Italian to bag a brace in the Champions League, uh, in a Champions League fixture. So watch this space on him. And interestingly about him was he was part of the... Um, Nangalan deal to um, to Inter, so Inter basically got rid of him for for you na- didn't want peanuts, him. <laughs> so peanuts. basically gave him away. So that's um that's interesting uh interesting part of the the deal there, and and we'll see who comes out on top in, in that one. But he's nineteen, so he's the he's the Matt Simon of uh of European <laughs> football. You're telling me that you know you know given away you didn't want him and then he just bangs in goals against your team basically and I, and I was just looking up some uh, some other stats on him and, and the first news story that came out is um, if you google uh, google it and I encourage people to do so um, the, the the headline is Roma star Nicolo Zaniolo upset over mum's sexy Instagram photo so <laughs> well I'd probably be upset about that too if I was him <laughs> so there you go so he's, he's, he's in all the headlines at the moment so keep keep an eye out on him sounds like it's worth a look uh, <laughs> My yep. uh, my moment of the week uh, and our own goal uh, 
uh, all Brisbane Raw related this week. What so a surprise! Local. Uh, I don't know whether anyone's surprised, but look, not at all. Two, I've got, I've actually got two, and which is also rare for me. I normally keep it to one, but two, two moments of the week. Would you believe it? Uh, the first uh, is the Brisbane Raw wall uh, in their W League uh, semi final defeat to Sydney. Um, so Brisbane, as you know, uh, or as listeners might know, um, are a team of weird walls. After the men's team did the most ineffective regulation wall in world football earlier in the season, they've done it again um, in the W League, this time with a very effective and very unorthodox wall in their semi-final defeat. Um, so it's late in the game. Brisbane are already down 2-0, and um, they concede a foul just outside the 18-yard box. And up steps uh, Alana Kennedy, um, who's hit some cracking free kicks this season. And Brisbane decide to pull something um, out of the training ground. And they basically, the four of them sort of crouch down and start bobbing up and down in weird succession, like sort of like almost frog-like. and it like just, whack-a-mole almost. Like whack-a-mole, yeah. And it completely puts her off her free kick and she just blazes it. It's a great moment. Uh, and I encourage you to look that up also if we haven't shared it already by then um, or, or we didn't share it at the time. Um, my, my my other moment of the week is uh, Brisbane locking in Dylan Wenzel Halls onto a long-term deal. Um, so they've finally come to their senses and, and offered the kid a, a two-year contract extension, which is a big um, a big statement in the A-League given the short-term nature of the contracts there. Is it though? I mean, they, they, they got rid of Taggart. I mean, they didn't really have anyone else. So Dumped him. Yeah. Didn't want him. We'll get to that. <laughs> Triggered. Uh, yeah, so look, after after he struggled for minutes all season, um, often being left on the bench while D'Agostino and others uh, have sort of got minutes ahead of him, he's taken his opportunities and he's, he's shown what his NPL form suggested that he might be capable of, scoring in their 4-3 loss to Adelaide and um, then getting onto the starting 11 and making it two from two with a winner against Sydney last weekend. Um, so yeah, with with Taggart now off to the K League, um, you know it, it's a real opportunity for him to to jump in and, and make his make his mark in the starting eleven and show why he deserves to be there. On um, on moments of the week and uh, on on the W League, the grand final uh, yesterday as well, cracking game. What a cracking match and that was! I, I'd sort of recommend to all the all the listeners uh, to check out the goals from that game because they were absolute quality. Yeah, Herter, I think in particular had a had a really great goal to open the scoring. Yeah, um, and there was a there was a really good header in there by by the American Savannah McCaskill as well. Um, she she looked in brilliant form. Um, yeah, it was a, it, just a just a really good game of football. Sydney ran away with it in the end, but. Um, yeah, yeah, really great one. Uh, on to own goals, then, boys. George, what about you? Uh, I, I own had goal a, this week? a Champions League one, and, it, and it's a football's favourite villain, Sergio Ramos. So oh, the man everyone loves to hate. The man everyone loves to hate. So the, the so Real Madrid ended up winning their the, the first leg away surprise, from, surprise. from home, two one uh, in a controversial game. Yeah. But um, at the end, towards the end of the game, Ramos deliberately admitted to deliberately getting a yellow card so he could miss the second leg. Now it's very strange given the way the game panned out in terms of the the way Ajax played, and and it's really really strange from him to openly admit to. Although he's put this down to a misinterpretation of the journalist's question, but uh, essentially he admitted to getting a deliberate yellow and being suspended for the second leg. So. He's pretty confident that they'll get over the line, but it's a very weird one. How does that not go down in sort of into the realms of like match fisking and stuff? Because well, it, I bet on anything, now, it's going to be investigated. Yeah. But um, and and that's I think why uh, I think the coach came out Solari and said no, no, he admitted to a deliberate foul, not a deliberate yellow. 
to it. Mm. So very mm. sus, and it just doesn't make any sense because uh, well, it makes uh, a lot of sense given his character. And yeah, given what well, we've seen from him. But why, why is he? Why is he deliberately the cynical you, nature of the way he plays his game? You do that when you do that when the next game doesn't matter. So that sort of uh, gives you a bit of insight into his mentality or Real Madrid's mentality about the um, the second leg there. Tommy, own goal. Um, my own goal this week comes from the FA Cup uh, fifth round. You had um, uh, Norwich County, sorry, not Norwich County, what are they called? Newport County uh, hosting Manchester City uh, in Wales this week. And Mike Flynn, their manager, has basically been absolutely gushing at the side of yes. Pep Guardiola. Now, this was kind of cringy, and you've got to remember, I guess, Newport County are from League. League Two, which makes them what the fifth tier of English football, uh, sorry, fourth tier of English football. So in some ways, I can kind of understand this. However, it's probably the club's like biggest match of maybe maybe the last five years. They're playing one of the most famous clubs in the world. Uh, one of the the, the best uh, managers rocks up, and instead of the the manager just kind of trying to keep it professional, kind of loses his cool. I think a little bit. Be cool, Flinny. Be e- cool. Exactly, exactly. And gets all <laughs> starstruck. Hero, come on. Gets all starstruck, <laughs> and he's basically he's literally calling the guy a genius, and it's just it's just a little bit undignified, I think. And um, anyway, it, look, it might have purely been deliberately uh, deliberate, and it might have been some mind games sort of trying to flatter flatter the manager, flatter the the uh, the visiting team. But look, it didn't really work out for them. They ended up. Um, he should have gone for unnerved. Yeah, <laughs> he said praise. <laughs> <laughs> he should have. Um, uh, it didn't really work out for them, I should say. And uh, cities end up running away, four-one uh, winners. And I guess that's that's the end of Newport County in um, the FA Cup. But anyway, At least he got to meet his idol. Yeah, so he, maybe a good night for him. Maybe he was happy with that. <laughs> yeah, I bet he was. Uh, my own goal this week, uh, we alluded to it before, boys. Uh, the Raw selling target for a reported fee of uh, 150 grand. Um, so they've, they've made a big move in the wooden Chips. spoon race um, by, by selling their, their key striker for about a tenth of his value with you a third even, of the season You can't even ago. tank in the A-League. You don't get draft picks or anything. So. <laughs> oh, well, the Raw are doing their <laughs> the best. race to the bottom. It's bizarre, isn't uh, it? doing Colby, their best. I've got to say, like, I think I saw this before you might have seen it. And so I, I messaged you in our group chat, but I actually felt a little bit bad. Like it, it, First I time you, for everything. Yeah, I thought you might have thought, oh, this is just a wind-up. This is never going to happen. And then I actually felt a little bit bad for you that Guys, like, this though, is happening like, to your club. Let, let's let's be honest though. Like Adam Tagger will be back next year or in a year yeah, and a half's time. Yeah. Yes. See, see in eighteen months. <laughs> yeah, mate. that's right. Um, and yeah, who, who, who's he going to return to? Yeah, Adelaide, yeah, it's, it's, Sydney, it's, Melbourne Sydney. City. Yeah, uh, <laughs> who knows? Um, yeah, so he's he's joined uh, K League side Suwon Blue Wings. Um, yeah, for a reported fee of one hundred and fifty thousand. I don't actually know um, whether this is true or not. I've heard sort of rumblings that it may not be true and the club didn't actually want to report the fee for whatever reason not sure why that would be uh, the old undisclosed yeah figure. why don't you just say undisclosed if it's not correct though so i don't get it but something doesn't add up either the number reported wasn't correct or this is a very big oggy from the raw um because i mean i feel for him because he, he obviously i think it came out also that he had a clause in his contract that if aloisi left the club had to le- let him go which is sort of fair enough and i understand why both parties would agree to that but surely the club didn't draft it in such a way that they have to uh, accept any old low ball off like the, a dollar and the a, lawyer a coming out in colby yeah <laughs> like it just seems nonsensical for brisbane um to accept that did they have lawyers looking at this contract i don't know but or when it looked like that Aloisi was actually going to be leaving, that they didn't sort of give him a new deal, figure out some way yeah. to unfuck this situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, what a mess. 
Um, all right, boys. Well, we might move on. Um, back by popular demand, uh, it's Chelsea Corner. So a beleaguered Arizabalaga, a cooked Aspilicueta, and a lost Ross. Worst defeat in the Premier League era uh, since that 7-1 to Brian Clough's Forest in 91. George, I know they had a big win against some Swedish farmers midweek, but uh, we have to get some thoughts on the game. Uh, we'll get to some reactions and some more big picture stuff, but uh, what, what were your thoughts uh, overall on, on how, how Chelsea are doing in the sort of state of things? Well, if we... If we talk about the game specifically, like what really stuck out was just how hopeless we were defending in the first sort of twenty minutes. Like the the first goal, um, if if you cast your mind back, like Alonso goes wandering um, at left back and Hazard not, not a new thing, not a new thing, but like it, I mean it's it's a free kick and he just ran off and and left the channel completely open. Hazard doesn't really defend, so I mean he should have probably tracked back as well, but there was no communication in the defence. And I think the um, the Aguero goal was was quality, obviously, and the and the next goal was Ross Barkley heading it back into the box to Aguero for an assist. So, like you you give City three goals in fifteen twenty minutes, like what do you expect's going to happen? Like you're they're just going to keep picking you off. So, I think at the moment and going more high level, like the the players just don't seem to be understanding the game plan and how to implement it. What Sari wants, Sari is actually saying they're well, I'm not going to change my tactics because the players aren't getting them right. So, yeah. And we'll, we'll, we will get to that as well. Um, there's a lot to... Obviously, a lot's been sort of said and written about uh, Sari and, and how he wants to do his tactics. But I want to talk first um, just about uh, a bit of fan reaction that's that's been going around because obviously there's been there's been some hysterics and you, you've, uh, people have probably seen and heard a bit. Uh, and, and we're going to get a little bit more from you today, George. We're not letting you off the hook that easy. Um, but I wanted to uh, just, just play one example uh, that sort of sums things up for me. And here it is now. There is no passion. There is no vision. There is no aggression. There is no fucking mindset in this football club. Nothing is there. What the hell is there in this football club? Tell me now. What the hell is there? Last 16 years, this much defeat I've never seen. Six fucking nil. And people call me a disgraceful fan. For what? For showing passion. For showing, for caring for the club. Where are the players? Where are the players? I will turn off the phones. I will turn off the phones to switch off mode and airplane mode. They'll not even come out. They'll not even speak. Nothing they'll do. And we fans have to watch every single season battling, battling, shambolic performance. Where's the passion, George? Where's the passion? I actually think, it, despite him sounding pretty insane, he makes some. <laughs> he makes a fair, fair few decent points. Like, if you cast your mind back, Chelsea got done by Bournemouth 4-0. Um, had, a, had an easy win against Huddersfield, so we're not going to count that. And then they've... they've They've gone and lost to City six 0 so that's that's on the receiving end of ten goals in two away games. Like that's not good enough at, at, at any club, let alone Chelsea. So you, you even West Ham fans would be annoyed at that. You, you <laughs> and you would like you would expect a huge reaction. And there, I mean, we again we beat Huddersfield. That's fine, but like the real game was against Man City, and and they came out and got absolutely blown away. So I, I agree that the players aren't playing. There, there's a hint of them sort of 
wondering a little bit if if Sari's Sari balls the right way to go, and 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 you know there's there's rumours that people have been challenging the tactics, like, um, and the, I mean it, it could go, it's going to go one of two ways. Like if the players keep sort of pushing their own agenda, then it'll be like last season with Conte, and and then Sari's not going to last. But you you would expect a huge reaction, um, when when you when you sort of lose six nil. So I th- I'm really really interested to see how they're going to go. I mean, they, they got the win against Malmo. That's fine. Like you mentioned, they were Swedish farmers. It was actually quite a, a bit of a cauldron sort of atmosphere if you if you if you saw a bit of that game. So they they did quite well to to get the win away. But the the real performance needs to be against Man U. It needs to be against Man City again in the the cup, and then it has to be against Spurs in the Premier League. Yeah, and you mentioned George um, about Sari's style of football and the players maybe having their own agendas and and Sari not wanting to change. And I don't want to go into this in too much detail because it's been it's been sort of done to death um, over the last you know couple of weeks um, because it's pretty clear that Sari um, has been brought in to play a certain style of football um, and and to, to change it. Well, at least sort of in his view and in a lot of people's view, it would sort of fly in the face of that appointment. What what do you make um, about the sort of style of football that he that he's playing? Um, does he just need better players suited to it, as, as your passionate um, fellow Chelsea fan suggests, or or do they need to change something in terms of the style? I, I think he like I think the squad's pretty good. We are a bit sort of thin in certain areas, but um, I think he he brought Jorginho in. He's got Higuain in now. Like we, I think there was an excuse for the lack of goals. I think that and and that was justified, and that was blind. Freddie could have seen that, um, but in terms of the the midfield and the defensive mistakes, there. There are ways that you can tweak your your tactics and and get plug a few gaps in, in those areas. Like it's it's pretty clear that Jorginho can't defend, um, and he's le- and it's leaving the um, back four exposed constantly. So like there there has to be a response from Sari. Like you can't just be like they're not playing my way. Um, teams have figured it out already. The Premier League is much more intense than Serie A, just in terms of pressing and and you know on any given day anyone can can beat you. So I think. There does need to be some tweaks there, and if that's playing Kante and Jorginho together in that hole in that in that midfield, then it might help. But I think he he does he you, you do have to give him a little bit of time because he did come into the season pretty late. Uh, he didn't have a huge amount of time to work with the players and implement his style. But I think it's halfway through or three you know what are we uh, two thirds down of the season, and there there are some big big holes in, in the in the tactics and it looks like I think he does have to tweak it. You, you you can't just put your hand up and say, if they play my way, like Jorginho will be the best player on the park and we'll win. Well it it it's it's not a league where you get 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 to dictate your own terms on every single team. So there does need to be a plan, let's say, you know, a plan A minus instead of a plan B or C. But he needs to be able to tweak things on the fly a little bit more. Um, he seems to only play certain players constantly like he doesn't mm. he he's really hesitant to to blood the you know the youth uh, a bit more than he than he Embedu has and Adoy barely gets 10 minutes every every now and then so he he's um he's it seems like he's going to do it his way he's not going to change but I, I mean I'm not asking him for wholesale changes I just think if you tweak things a little bit and maybe adapt to your opponents a little bit more um you you're going to have a better chance of you know, in the long long term, implementing your style. But, yeah, at the moment, it's not working. And uh, I think, um, you know, both sides are, are to blame. But I think uh, it seems like Sari is being a bit more inflexible than 
than the players, I suppose. So I'll, I'll sort of back the players in a, a little bit at the moment. But um, I think Sari's been backed um, and was brought in to change the style of the club and to, I guess, to change the. Um, uh, change the philosophy, change the way that the club is viewed because for a long time they've kind of just been a, a counter-attacking, defensively strong, uh, a little bit rugged, I guess. But and and the Chelsea hierarchy, they've basically said that this isn't this isn't enough. Like to, it's enough, not enough to even win that way. And so, look, I I think that if if Sarri has to make it through this season, it's it's going to be a little bit rocky. But if he makes it through this season, he gets another. Uh, transfer window where he can mould the, the squad more to his liking. And look, I guess there's a couple of key players that are coming up uh, that are either 30 already or have surpassed 30. You've got Pedro, who's 31, William, who's 30, David Luiz, who's 31. There are a couple of really senior players in that dressing room, and you've already seen Fabregas get moved on as well um, in January. So I think um, even if Sari is limping across the line, he just needs to stay in the hot seat until January so that he can move on some of those other players and get some new hungry players in who I think are a little bit more likely to buy into his philosophy because as we've seen, that dressing room at Chelsea, it it can make or break a manager. And if the players are on board, yep, everything's fantastic. But as soon as kind of the things start to get a little bit rocky, it, it seems to be that um, some of the players can fall out of love with the manager really quickly um, and it, then the results uh, inevitably show um, that as well. So, um, I guess um, out of those players that I just mentioned, George, is there any of those? Um, so specifically, Pedro, Pedro, William, and David Luiz that you'd like to see Chelsea hold on to? Well, I think William's been the subject of um, interest from Barcelona and uh, PSG. I think so. Um, I, I mean, guess Man United going back a little bit further. Yeah, as that's well, right. I mean, days. I, I, I think. I think we we probably need all three of those guys unless they they're going to be replaced or, or or something because you can't just let them go for for nothing or and not have them replaced. So I think the the issue you mentioned with players over thirty. I think if you if you go back historically, like Chelsea always had strong personalities, like John Terry, Drogba, Lamps, all those guys like had had a, 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 an ability to lead, and they were strong personalities. They they. They effectively held the dressing room together. Didn't matter if managers were getting sacked left, right, and center. Like mm. they were, mm. they were basically running the show um, to a certain deg- degree. And there's no leadership in in the in the side now. I think that's a that's a big factor. Um, and to answer, there's answer, sort of a lack of leadership. Yet there are strong personalities that are happy to sort of throw the toys out of the pram when things start don't stop. Sorry, stop going their way. Well, Which is a weird dynamic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's it's not so much the individuals, but it's more the collective in this case. Like in the past, it could have been the individuals, but it seems like the it's more of a, a, a collective uh, this time around, as opposed to like a you know Mourinho bluing with Hazard, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, just to, to answer your question, I, I think you know we we've got some some depth in that you know wing fullback. Uh, uh, sorry, wing forward position. You got Pusilic coming. Pusilic, is that yeah, Pulisic, Pulisic yeah, coming in. But it just <laughs> de- it depends. Though I mean, if if you if you lose Hazard, you can't lose Pedro and Willian. Like then then your team's just going to be seriously exposed. So yeah, fair enough. I mean, you've also so you got Hazard who's twenty eight. I don't, uh, Colby. I don't know if you were going to launch into a question here about Hazard at some point, but uh, now feels as opportune as any. Um, Hazard's twenty eight. Um, there's probably only Real Madrid that uh, are likely to be able to afford him. But also there's the point of, well, he's, if he's 28, in probably another year, Real Madrid, surely they wouldn't pay sort of through the through the roof for a 29 or a 30-year-old, would they? Uh, if Chelsea are going to sell, they kind of need to sell now. Otherwise, they're not going to get a, a price for him. 
What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I uh, I don't I don't think Chelsea. Are, I mean, if Hazard want, makes a statement that he wants to go, they'll they'll probably sell him at the end of the year to make to cash in on him. He's pretty much done that, hasn't he? Uh, he said he's made a decision. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's not going to do a Griezmann and say your decision is to stay. Well, you, you know, assume he's he's hoping. Um, <laughs> if if the uh, what was it in the NBA where they had like that televised uh, press conference? The with, decision. Like, uh, it was the, the decision yeah. in caps. Oh, sorry. Um, no. So I mean, I I don't think Chelsea have to cash in per se, but if if he's saying he's going to go, uh, they'll, they'll probably sell him. It's now or never really for him, isn't it? If he if he waits another year, well, it's kind of too late for him for Real Madrid, and he might as well just yeah. But Stay the, around the, at Chelsea. The point being, I or think... Or he won't go to Real Madrid if he does leave. Well, that's what I mean. If, he, if he's going to leave... I mean, if he's going to... He's either going to go to Real or he's going to stay at Chelsea. I don't think there's a third sort of suitor in there, a third option. In another two years, it's not going to Real Madrid. It's going to like China or MLS or maybe somewhere else. Maybe going to Italy or BSG. something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, true. And um, so, so George, um, you, you, you sort of indicated before that you'd be happy to to uh, stick with Sari um, for the end of the season. But, but what if what if they're not making top four and they're not winning Europa League? Yeah, was, uh, that was my sort of... Uh, Is that the caveat? Caveat, the, the go, go get through the Champions League. In, Could in be the, too late to sack him though, couldn't it? Well, I mean, at the end, I think they'll they'll stick with him for the end of the season, and then yep. if if things go really really bad, then probably that off season decision will be made. But they're gonna they 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 are backing him, uh, but that's subject to where we where we finish in the Premier League, and you know if we can scrape a Europa League or a, an FA Cup or, or something like that, will 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 help. Well, Chelsea are in the box seat for the Europa League, um, and they're they're still definitely in the um, the the top four race. So I don't think it's too much of a crisis yet, despite how much we'd love to pile on even more. And you know, of, of course, we'll, we'll you know if things go take a nasty turn, we'll, we'll have you back on for another another Chelsea corner to uh, to see how it all plays out. Um, did you have anything else, Tommy? Yeah, I guess, that, look, there's a whole bunch of sort of fringe players at Chelsea at the moment. You've got the likes of Zappa, uh, Costa, Drinkwater and Emerson, who frankly barely play. Um, the three of them, I imagine, will be moved on in the summer. Like they've, well, the, some, I think they've either been there for two years or more. We the, could be here all day if we're going to talk about Chelsea uh, players that are never going to play for well, Chelsea. Well, I think they, <laughs> they, were, they were both uh, Drinkwater and Zappa Costa were, were almost going to go at the transfer window. So those uh, Emerson uh, plays... Um, so yeah, he he's been playing a little bit more and recently last month. Yeah. I think Sari's got a bit of an issue at, at left back with Alonso and Emerson. They're both good, really good going forward, but as pure left defenders, they're 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 not great. So he's just trying to figure out who who best suits his his sort of system. I just want to say at the start of the season when we did our uh, preview for Chelsea, I I did I did say that uh, Alonso is much better a wing back than he is in a back four and also David Louise is much better when playing as part of a back three. So that's a good point actually. That that shift from Conte's tactics to Sarri's tactics are, are quite, that's a that's a big shift. And, and then you've got Dave as well who was one of the best centre backs uh, going around in previous seasons. Dave Aspilicueta that is. Uh, yeah, I was like um, <laughs> uh, and and, and now he's he's playing back on the right where he just doesn't look like he has the legs for it even more. So, yeah, just, I don't know, a few bad decisions in terms of the tactics and, you've got, and the personnel and you, and you've to fit those ca- tactics. And you've lost Kante as well uh, a yeah. little bit. So I think that that's a, I think that's a big factor. Like the, a lot of the, those guys in, in the defence were, were having a much easier job uh, of things when they had Kante in front of him. So There's quite a few positions here, I guess, that, that do need either replace, replacing the, the current first-team starter. Um, is there one position that you think is a clear priority moving forward? 
because we've I think we've highlighted maybe four or five that probably need an improvement or a, or a shift. But if you were going to focus on one, what would it be? Well, in the in the short term, it was up front. So and they've 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 plugged that hole short term. Assuming Higuain stays, then. Assuming Higuain stays, then uh, I think I think you, you're going to have to replace Eden Hazard if he goes. So I don't think Pulisic. I think Pulisic is more of a a, a sort of Pedro Willian type than a, a than a um, Hazard type. So if you take Hazard out of that team, then it's an average team. And if Hazard wasn't playing, then we would be no chance of making the top four. All right, boys. Well, we have to move on. Uh, before we get... Sweet. <laughs> you're, now <laughs> you're, you're, off, you're off the hook, mate. You can wipe the sweat off your brow now, mate. <laughs> um, before we get on to the A-League reviews, I wanted to give a bit of an update on uh, the expansion of the A-League. There's been some West Melbourne news. news some West Melbourne news. group news uh, during news, the week. News. Uh, West Melbourne group uh, announced that they now have a name and colours. It's all very exciting until you figure out what they what they are unfortunately it's not the melbourne west hams tommy but uh, the name's going to be western united fc and the colors are going to be green and black there was a full page ad in the melbourne papers and two, a, two page yeah, and, a, and a spread and a cringy social media announcement where they'd grab some people from the local theater group and hastily slap some face paint on them good I think they and and they've and they've signed Josh Risden. Like, oh, I right think, I think I think they're actually everything they've done so far has been been correct. Like they're they're really sort of following the the Wanderers model of. So you bought, oh, I just think they're doing like the Wanderers, but not as good. Like oh, well, they're missing Lyle Gorman, aren't they? For starters, yeah, oh, they're missing Lyle. The Gorman fact. No, <laughs> I think they're I think they're doing everything right so far, and they've they've they've, they've had a very short lead in since the announcement. All right, well let's let's start with the name then. Are you happy with the name Western United? After no. There was an extensive polling, so they, which I said that the name, name didn't catch on, and that <laughs> Melbourne Athletic was the clear favourite no, so from, the, from the poll that I, they did. I heard they, that they wanted to sort of disassociate themselves with Melbourne, the the sort of that the name Melbourne or the mm. area Melbourne, because mm. they they're sort of they want to focus more on the west. So I can understand. Wait, but yeah, west of what? Like west of Melbourne? Just west. Just west. Just west. Well, I west mean, is United, they made a, like, the, the guys on the the Fox Football podcast um, midweek made a good point about this. Like if, if you know, yeah, we all know where they're from, and I know that, that like you know teams like the West Tigers in the NRL and the Western Bulldogs in the AFL do it, but you know football's different from those Mickey Mouse competitions. Um, nice. You know, we're we're a regional competition and a global competition, and the the, the Fox Football guys made this point, which was that you think they're going to be from Perth if they're called yeah, well, Western United. Yeah, you don't know whether they're like from Western West Australia. Australia or what? Uh, if if some team, if you know, if, if they happen to have some success and and they're playing in the Asian uh, Champions League and some team plays them, then no one's going to know where they're from, who they are. Oh, I think just oh, I think you're clutching a bit there. Uh, <laughs> I feel like you're very anti West Melbourne, and it sounds like Western Union, like that that uh, money transfer, or best Western, sponsor, or best Western sponsorship opportunities, <laughs> sponsorship opportunities. Just 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 if 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 Western Union money transfer is listening, jump on. Um, and they're the th- yeah the, the third team to be called United in the A League, and that I mean the, I thought the United tag normally sort of meant when when some clubs were merging or you know to sort of signify that the city was uniting united the West. Or, they're uniting the West. I don't know. I I think I think that's clutching. I don't know. I think, and, the, and they've also missed an opportunity to throw in Westgate as well, which I some people don't like that. I'd have been fine with I'm that. I'm okay with it as well. Like I actually thought it. It said, "Yep, like everything west of Westgate is ours." And I know it was a joke, but Westside Pride would have been a lot better. 
I don't know about that. I don't know about that at all. All right, colours, the colours. So, um, the Western United CEO uh, has come out and said, oh, look, we enjoyed the process of involving the community and what emerged is a great story of nature and infrastructure. The blacktop of the bitumen and the greenery of our suburbs was the inspiration for the colours. Boys, thoughts? It's like the colours of suburbia, isn't it? (laughs) It's pretty uninspiring. Like you could like something needed, different. Like they needed grey to represent the concrete of the, suburbia the, as well. The bitumen, yeah. But the, I, well, I, I like, don't know why about you that. Say the bitumen. If you want to say you're inspired by infrastructure and nature, you could have named something significant in nature around that area, and you could have said the infrastructure, like our new stadium, or like something inspiring. That's what they were, they were like, roads. Hinting, but he said, "Steady yeah. was like the road oh, to the stadium, grass." It was really inspiring. I mean, nicknamed the like West Melbourne, you know, Western. What are they? Western United toll roads or something? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, look, hopefully they're going to prove me wrong and they're going to be a great success. But you know, the the final thing that I wanted to talk about is where are the fans going to come from? Do you think they're 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 going to the West? Of, inspire us are there fans in the west who aren't already sort of victory or city supporters are they going to well, get a, a ground that are jumping of off city by, by the yeah, sounds of it. Okay. but the, the, this was this this that question there was 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 something that the FFA would have looked at mm. when when they uh, gave them the license so i think they they are hoping there there's a lot, lot of hope that they can get the, all the Geelong supporters on board like mm. the people out in Geelong and and then and then pull in you know the other areas of of West, the west of Melbourne, but um, so I, I think I think that feasibility stuff should have already been done. Like the the home grounds in Tarnit, so uh, I think I would hope that you know they could get uh, about ten thousand supporters as a minimum to 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 their games. Something that uh, I hadn't actually considered until uh, this week. I, I work with a, a whole bunch of people that come from sort of Geelong, Hoppers Crossing, like around that sort of area, Tarnit, and um, so the. The stadium's going to be located next to a train station. Now, the train station hasn't been built yet either. But, um, good. Pause. A lot of bitumen, pause. though. Sounding good. <laughs> pause. The, um, the train station is actually going to be built um, west of, I think, of Tarnit itself. So, and it's it going to be a hub, obviously. I remember hearing it's going to be a bit of a hub. For what? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. <laughs> but anyway, um, the, what the, my point is that it's really right on that urban fringe of, I guess, that Melbourne metropolitan area. But it's also going to only be serviced by that um, Melbourne to Geelong V-Line train service. Now, if you're in Werribee, for example, which is a little bit further south of Tarnit, you would have to catch a train from Werribee to Footscray and then back out <laughs> to Tarnay for really, yeah, an wow. hour to get there. Now, look, like this sounds like a little thing. And look, by the time the stadium gets built, there's probably going to be buses that will zigzag all across there. But um, it does raise, I guess, at some point that how difficult is it actually going to be to get from some of these western areas to the stadium? Is it actually going to be a complete nightmare and everyone's going to go, this is too bloody hard to get to? I think this this brings up sort of a, a wider wider sort of group chat about uh, the public to. transport in Melbourne. So, yeah, yeah we're, we're digressing <laughs> a little bit here. Uh, look, we might have to leave it at that and um, and, and follow... Guys, they signed Risden. I think that's massive. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I wish Risden all the best. Is this the same Josh Risden that's no longer getting a game at Western Sydney? Or? Is this fringe soccero Josh Risden? World Cup right back, Josh Risden. <laughs> oh. oh, more infrastructure chat, boys. <laughs> Spare me. Uh, all right, boys, we're going to move on to uh, the A-League round 19. Here's Donahue's first involvement, trying to stop the run of Sarpreet Singh. He'll quickly find out that's quite difficult. 
situations before Case K Honda and negotiated most of them successfully as he has done here for the third time this A-League season these two cannot be separated it's the Krishna and Case K show a goal apiece for two of the higher profile players going around the A-League yeah so it finished up uh, one apiece uh, to Wellington uh, and Melbourne victory. Uh, but that scoreline didn't really reflect uh, what a cracking game this one was, boys. Uh, so Krishna, the Fijian Messi, uh, opened up the scoring quite early with a real striker's finish. Uh, Saprit Singh uh, put a dangerous ball into the box and when the ball wasn't quite headed away, it just popped up for Krishna, um, who looked like he wasn't even paying attention to where it was and just lasers onto it and volleys it in the top of the net. Uh, what do you think about this uh, this goal, boys? Good finish. Krishna's uh, really, really proven. Um, he's he's basically. Ca- I feel like he's carrying their attack at, at the moment. Twelve he's, goals this season. Yeah. I think he scored. Um, yeah, really, really good effort. Huge. But um, yeah, the Knicks uh, couldn't hang on to it uh, with Broxham going down in the box. Uh, looked a little bit soft, soft. soft uh, but uh, I think it was probably a penalty. But very, very. And they soft. probably earned it on the balance of play as well. The victory was sort of trying to come back quite hard, and and when Honda stepped up, he was never going to miss it. Even though uh, Curto uh, got made in his few, face a bit. Yeah, got in his face. Made and made a few good saves that that uh, game as well. Had a good one, and he's generally had a good season as well. Um, but boys, this yeah, cracking game for a one-all scoreline. But the the thing that really stood out to me was the attendance. It was proud, yeah, massive. 23,648. Yeah, apparently it's the, the fifth largest attendance of the season and it's easily the largest ever to watch a Knicks regular season game at Eden Park as well. Would that be the, the largest non-derby? Uh, oh, I don't know. It'd be close though, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but fantastic for the Knicks um, to get that kind of attendance. Um, I think I heard they um, they just promoted it and made it forty bucks for families or something like that, and like pretty yeah, yeah pretty FFA, simple formula. You, you're yeah. listening? Yeah. yeah, pretty simple formula. Just promote stuff and make it affordable for families to go. Um, but yeah, it looked it looked great. The atmosphere looked great, and I'm so pleased for the Knicks who are sort of solidly, um, you know, in the in the box seat to make finals. Um, and to challenge when they get there as well. I think they've held um, the victory in in each game that they've played against them this season from memory. Which pretty much makes them everyone's second second team, yeah? Absolutely. And with a kit like that as well. We mentioned it on the, on our sort of A-League special uh, when we when we first started. Damo and I, I'm pretty sure, gave their kit an 8 out of 10. And um, to see them playing well in it as well uh, is even better. So um, they're they're sitting sixth at the moment. But I, I would say on form, they'd, they'd be sort of, you know, much higher... In terms of um, being able to beat anyone in that top top five above them, I think I think you know they're, they're probably on form, like as in the way they're playing. Uh, they're probably just sitting under um, Perth and Victory. Yeah, because you'd fancy them to beat um, uh, Adelaide and Sydney, uh, or Adelaide and Melbourne City. Sorry, on on their day, definitely. 
Sorry, George. I've just got the, their form running into the last four games or their last four results here in front of me, and, and their form's not great. They've won one out of their last four, which in, does include two draws against the Jets, who are below them, and I guess they and they also drew against Victory as well. So by form, not, oh, not they, should form. they should have won that one against the Jets. By though. form, they had I meant Christian, to, Christian missed the penalty. Yeah. No, I, I meant just uh, the way they're playing. Maybe, maybe not not so results, much on the results, results but results. form and and just the 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 quality of their play. So. Good recovery, mate. Don't yeah. think you're off the hook just because we've finished up with Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> George is getting the getting under the microscope today on more than a game. Um, boys, anything else uh, you wanted to raise about this game? Yeah, no, let's no. let's move on. Um, next next game uh, was Newey uh, hosting Melbourne City. Uh, George, uh, do you want to take us through this one? Yeah, I can. But uh, the, the the big the big thing um, before the game was uh, basically how many outs Newcastle had. So they were were not favoured um, at all. So they had uh, Bugard, um, Petrados, and Vargas all sort of out, either rested or injured because of their Asian Champions League um, game. So. You kind of felt like going into it that that City would have a big advantage, but uh, that's not the way the game turned out. So you had um, Jair score the the opener for Newcastle in the twenty second minute with a with a good finish, and 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 basically it looked like City were, were struggling to to get through, um, despite having a bit of possession on on their side, and and but in the second half City did score in the fifty fifth minute with. McLaren getting getting onto a sort of a, a predators type fox in the box goal, so that made it one all. And you thought City were then going to to go on with it, but um, Riley McGree got robbed in the in the middle of the field and robbed. He, he did uh, dwelled on the ball a little bit, to, and Newcastle broke. And in the seventy fifth minute, uh, Champness got got onto. Uh, 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 Sorry, uh, I don't think anyone refers to him as that on this That's podcast. He's Joic to you, mate. Yeah, Joic. <laughs> Sorry, that that made it two uh, one, and then O'Donovan, who had a really really good game, I thought, um, uh, got the uh, got the third goal. The Jesse uh, Farmer lookalike, Roy Farmer O'Donovan lookalike. <laughs> so that that made it three one, and City were just sort of exposed twice on the break, and. Uh, not not looking uh, not looking good going into the Melbourne Derby. A bit unusual because I mean that's that's meant to be City's bread and butter is like not not getting caught out on the counter and being defensively sound and so they got well, Delbridge Delbridge Schenkeveld and Good aren't uh, exactly the sort of fastest uh, back line are they? No, uh, Delbridge ho- holds holds his own. He's just not great going forward. Yeah, and O'Donovan and Schenkeveld. He's yeah. I think he's actually pretty quick. Um. Shorts are pretty. So, shorts would, very would constrict tight. the movement, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. No, he, he, he manages to move around. But uh, just just underlining O'Donovan's importance, like he he came in in the 64th minute, so um, really had an impact for both um, Newcastle's last two goals. Yeah, big impact from the bench there, um, and yeah. J- Joey had a big impact from the bench as well with a goal and an assist. Um, yeah, looking looking quite good uh, on the counter attack with with Roy O'Donovan. Something that we didn't, uh, I guess, cover so far, and that was Newcastle's result in the Asian Champions League as well. I, I thought that they'd only played 90 minutes during the week. It actually went no, to extra, went extra time. time. They yeah. played 120 minutes. So, um, hang on, I'll see if I can figure out when... Hold on. So, Roy O'Donovan, Roy O'Donovan actually played 113 minutes. He almost played the full two hours. So, um, yeah, for him to, to back up again, it's big. Good lad. Moving on then, boys. Uh, Adelaide, uh, Western Sydney. Uh, Western Sydney got their second win in a row here. Um, 
George, you, you caught up this game, did you? No, you I didn't, saw, didn't catch I saw, it? I just yeah. saw the highlights of this one. <laughs> well, no. I caught it, so ne- never, not to worry. Um, so, look, uh, Western Sydney, as I said, got uh, got two in a row. Uh, Bonavati had just played the game of his life. Vedran Janjetovic looked like the Janjetovic of a couple of years ago when he wasn't having as many brain fades. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, the, the first goal was a, a set piece, uh, great delivery by Bonavazia, uh, a bit of a high line from Adelaide. Um, but Riera sort of beats the line and, and finishes with a great diving header, one that our, our very own, uh, Jesse would be, would be very proud of. Uh, next up, um, the Wanderers concede a pen, uh, which Goodwin steps up to take. Uh, it was somewhat a, controversially It was a dubiously well. awarded pen yeah, by so, VAR. So the, well, yeah, the referee didn't think it was a pen, and then he's been called back, uh, and then upon review, VAR review, he's actually awarded the pen now. Did, did you think this was a pen, Colby? In, in real time, I actually thought it was a pen, but actually watching it on the replay, I, I thought... The defender got the ball, and um, the the it's usually the other way when you over his leg. Replay, yeah, yeah, that's so. what, that's what I thought too. In real time, I thought, oh, that doesn't look good. But then they waved it away, and it was one of those ones that when they waved it away, I thought, okay, fine. Like I wasn't, so I wouldn't have. If I was a, an Adelaide fan, I don't think I would have been screaming for that one. Um, I agree that this is this is not one of those fifty fifty calls. This is sixty forty for me. That it's more a pen than not a pen. But at the same time, the referee is looking straight at it. He's had a, a pretty good view of it. Um, for me, I don't think this counts as a clear and obvious error. Yeah, error. That, that's some referees are going to say, even on review, that that's still a pen. Uh, sorry, still not a pen. And some are going to call it in real time and say, that's a pen. On review, they're going to say, that's a pen. So uh, that for me I is over... I don't think over- VAR should be involved unless it's a clear and obvious error. And, um, you know, I think... I think for you've, you, the referees still have a job to do. They've, they've still got to make a call, and and if they think it's 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 sort of one way or another, it shouldn't be reviewed unless it's completely wrong. It's almost like I guess we've said this probably a dozen times before, but it's almost like when they get the buzzer on their wrist saying, "Yeah, go and have a look at something on VAR," that they go, "Oh, well, I've made a clear and obvious error. Otherwise, VAR wouldn't be talking to me." So the fact that VAR gets involved at all, it's almost getting into the minds of the referee that, "Oh, well, I'm probably going to be overturning my decision here," and a little bit of what's the opposite of confirmation bias? Just second guessing themselves. Yeah, like and Got him rattled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In in their heads, boys. Um, but yeah, I don't know. For me, it's not a like I said, it's not fifty fifty, it's sixty forty. Probably shouldn't have been a pen. End up being a pen. I don't think anyone's here an Adelaide fan, so uh, we're probably not going to have that real visceral experience of uh, or real visceral response to it. But let us know if you're an Adelaide fan and and you were enraged about that one not being called, or you were enraged about the way that Goodwin took the pen. Uh, let us know. Reach out to us uh, more than a game on Twitter or Facebook. Um, but uh, yeah, Adelaide didn't didn't have a lot more joy in this game. They did get the equaliser before half time through Kitto. Um, sorry, have you skipped over Goodwin's pen? Yeah, oh, I, I did mention that it was not a great pen. I thought you'd be uh, ramming this one home. That, no, uh, I mean, Damo's it good, boy. It was good save by Yanjetovic, <laughs> but yeah, not not the most convincing of takes uh, from Damo's favourite player in the A League. Um, but uh, yeah, the second half was was all Western Sydney. They just they found a gear that they haven't seemed to be able to find all season. And Bonavati, as I said, just had the game of his life. Uh, the, this uh, second goal for Western Sydney from Bonavati took a big deflection. Um, but for the for the third goal, um, I don't know whether you've seen it, boys, but Bonavati just dinks one over the top of a defender and. Um, 
or onto uh, Majok, um, who then chips the keeper beautifully. Um, really nice goal uh, to watch that one, and they just got amongst the the couple of Wanderers fans that were away at Adelaide. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was scenes, and I think there would have been some celebrations there that night. Well, I think the the Wanderers have been threatening to do this for a little while. Um, they've, they've they've been in games quite a lot, and they've been unlucky or they've made stupid mistakes and cost themselves. So I'm not surprised that and they just learn how to defend and close yeah, out a game. Like not, they got yeah. a clean sheet last week, and they got a um, you know they only sort of. Uh, conceded one this week and with it, with this sort of convincing win against it's Adelaide, just, who are firmly yeah. in the top six. Well, it's just so. a shame it's taken this long. Like, it's almost too little, too late. But you know, if if they had started this run, you know, a month ago, then perhaps they'd be knocking or putting pressure on the top six. Just set them up for next season, though. At least, like they're starting to move in the right direction. I know there's a long off season, but well, there's, the problem is like being set up for next season. Like there's so much um, player movement and such a long break. I, I don't know how much momentum you can carry through. suspect Babel's probably made up his mind about certain players as well, hasn't he? Yep. Speaking of teams who won't be taking any momentum into the next season, um, Brisbane Raw got dusted up away at Perth um, to no one's great surprise. Perth now go nine points clear at the top of the A-League table. Um, yeah, after giving Brisbane uh, a horror day out. Um, and this was just, this match was just, uh, you know, just showed a golfing class <laughs> between these two teams. Um, real, real, um, yeah, it was a real story of the team at the top of the table who hopefully is going to win the league um, against a team who's just been devastated by injury, top players leaving, coach leaving, just looked Almost unfair, but uh, you, yeah. th- this is the the thing you get from a Popovich side. They they don't they don't slip up against teams that they're expected to, to beat. Like they they put the foot on the throat and and get the win, and and that's sort of what happened in in this one. Yeah. So um, Jason Davidson actually opened up the scoring by drilling one in at the near post, uh, which. Most goalkeepers yeah, should have done better. With. It was a bit of a gap there. But uh, Raw's uh, standing keeper, Brendan White, uh, failed to keep this one out. Uh, but from there, uh, the glory and the home crowd could just smell blood. And um, they went up another gear and just completely played the Raw off the park. Um, Keo grabbed a brace before half time with a few well-taken goals. Um, and Castro uh, helped okay, him. Okay, the goat. Oh, don't, don't go there. <laughs> we need a whole segment for I that. I think you're referring to Sir Thomas Broish. Good sir, um, Castro uh, helped himself to a second goal uh, in or to a goal in the second half. Um, few few talking points um, on this one, boys. Um, combined eleven, I don't think a single <laughs> raw player is getting into that Perth starting eleven. Would, on, would on any four. of them make the bench? No, I don't. That was, that was going to be my second point. I don't <laughs> even think any players from that raw team would even make the victory bench um, on but form. That, isn't that a, isn't that a like? I mean. Not to, uh, Brisbane don't have much to play for. Like blood youth, blood young guys. Uh, yeah, sorry, blood guys that haven't that's played a lot. Starting to happen, but only because of um, you know a lot of injuries and suspend. We're just having like a couple of suspensions every week, multiple injuries every week. Um, the one sort of bright spot in for Brisbane, obviously, was was Dylan Wenzel Halls, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, yeah, signing a new contract. He's looked good. He played up front um, and he played off D'Agostino. Um, he, he looked good. He looked like he wanted it um, and, and he was lively, didn't get a lot of service. Um, and they were playing a 4-4-2 as well. They, I mean, everything has conspired to... Um, you know, make this as difficult as possible for Brisbane to get any kind of rhythm. And the the four four two is just getting pumped by Popper's um, setup as well, um, which relies 
heavily um, on, on wing play and overloading in the wide areas, which Davidson and Franich and then Scott Neville when he came on for Franich um, were able to do so well um, and they had great games. Um, Scott Neville actually came on and assisted with pretty much his first touch. Um, but they were just they were bossing in those wide areas and, and Brisbane just did nothing about it. I don't know whether you know what um, Darren Davis could possibly have done about it with the personnel he had but well, yeah that's why i think uh, there's not much point in overanalyzing yeah you know, that's right I, yeah you could you could overanalyze it but really it's just a case of uh, boys ver- a, men versus men, boys. men against boys literally as well i mean brisbane's season last year was the the sort of uh the the dad's army season and now this is the season of the the kids and all all the dads are sort of dying off um but um, Keo Castro, uh, in particular, were great as well. Um, our uh, our centre back pairing were the Western Sydney Wanderers reject pairing. Tommy wanted to jump on something there, and probably just to say the goat again, just to probably not going to up not going to have it. Um, <laughs> that that that's pretty much it for the A League this weekend, though, boys. There is a game going on at the moment. Uh, Sydney and uh, the Central Coast. Uh, we've got a live score update here. 65th minute, Central Coast are up 1-0. How long before Sydney uh, come back and Sydney Coast just cook it, boys? So it's 25 wh- minutes? Yeah, that's <laughs> we're, we're what, up to the 66th minute and it's still 1-0 to Central Coast. Uh, Aidan McNeil score, uh, O'Neill scoring in the, the 36th minute. So, yeah, I'd say we're probably a good 10, 15 minutes away from Central Coast imploding and conceding two goals. Sounds um, good. In... In terms, though, of uh, the A-League, I said a couple of weeks ago that, look, I kind of switched off a little bit from the A-League because, like, the top oh, six... Oh, that's are, good for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but they've pretty much... You've pretty much locked down, like, the top six and it's kind of... The, the run home is not particularly exciting, which is, is not great for the league. Um, however, though, um, you've got Melbourne City who've got one point out of their last four. And Wellington aren't actually in that great a form, despite what George what George thinks. Keep drilling that home to bay. Um, and you've got the Jets, who are actually in a decent run of form. The Jets have uh, now got results in, I think, uh, so they beat Melbourne City, uh, drew with Wellington, smacked the Wanderers, um, lost to the Jets, but then beat Central Coast. They've got some results recently. They're six points behind, uh, sorry, Newcastle are six points behind uh, the Nucks and City. Can you see uh, Newcastle catching either of those teams? Um, New, uh, probably uh, Melbourne City being the one that I think they're most likely to catch. Well, I, I mean, it's 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 quite hard to predict, and I thought the gap was actually bigger. So that that's really it, interesting. it was, <laughs> yeah. And and City do have uh, the derby, as I mentioned this week. So that's going to be a, a tough one for them. Um, I haven't studied City play um, victory this weekend. Obviously, then they play Perth after that. Then Sydney, then Western Sydney, and they, then they've got a, a few more sort of favourable games after that. But um, that's three really tough games. They've got Sydney at least at home, which is probably their one redeeming thing out of that out of that run. But look, um, maybe I'm just sort of hoping that Sydney don't make the the top six so that Joyce uh, gets dumped <laughs> yeah. at the end of the season. You've got and some friends with, with that with that um, with that wish as well. But I don't know, City. City usually usually and and were defending quite well um, up until the last sort of month or so. So I don't know. I still think Newcastle are starting from a fair way back, and um, they haven't been the most consistent, notwithstanding their form. So I think City will hold on, but they'll come sixth. the The unfortunate thing is that um, Newcastle have just started to play Asian Champions League, which is probably the one thing that's will go against them during this run in. Otherwise, um, it's probably 
one of the few storylines that's still kind of hanging around. If Newcastle can push push uh, those teams just above them really hard for a top six, top six spot, um, it, it would be actually an exciting run in, hoping that they can actually push those teams. All right, boys, one word. Um, City, uh, Newcastle, uh, or Phoenix, who drops out? City. No one. Newcastle are out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think City would going to drop out as well. I'm, I'm going to have to agree with Tommy on that one. Right, uh, before we move to uh, the Champions League, uh, first round of the round of 16. Here's for Tongan. Head towards Son! Second half is just 70 seconds old. Son Heung-min continues his scoring spree and Tottenham Hotspur have the lead. Halted by Alderweireld. It's another late, late show from Maurizio Pochettino's Tottenham Hotspur. Two goals in the last seven minutes of the game from Jan Vertonghen and substitute Fernando Llorente have carried Tottenham Hotspur clear. They will have the healthiest of leads to take to Dortmund in three weeks' time when they will hope to have Harry Kane and Deli Alley back in harness. It is Tottenham's night, 3-0 winners over Borussia Dortmund here at Wembley. All right, so it finished... Uh Spurs three, Borussia Dortmund nil, uh, and Spurs left it uh, pretty late to sort of uh, put this one to bed. Um, but boys, um, Spurs pretty convincing in the end, despite uh, Dortmund having a few good chances. Uh, any overall thoughts on this one at all? I actually thought um, Spurs were completely outplayed in the first half. Like yeah. Dortmund were all over them, um, and I think it, I think it was um, to do with the way they were sort of set up, like. Spurs were deep, quite deep, and I thought sort of it played into Dortmund's hands a bit. And then you could see in the second half, like they were much more on them, like much further up the park, and that sort of that sort of allowed Spurs's like wingbacks to to get more involved in the game. And, and I thought Vertonghen was like excellent in the second half. Super like, Yan. Yeah, but in the first half, he he they were on the back foot. So I think Pochettino really earned his money at, at half time. And Sonaldo with the Sonaldo celebration as well, which I particularly enjoyed. But uh, yeah, he's in such a purple patch at the well, moment. Well, it's just amazing to think like when Harry Kane went down, like everyone wrote Spurs off and, and Son was away as well. But Including us. Yeah, yeah we so all wrote him off. Did, yeah. But no, he's just been incredible. Like, uh, I mean, he's really stepped up. Like he's gone into that upper threshold, I think, this this season. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could just play Jan Vertonghen up front and you'd be fine. <laughs> That's right. I, I don't think Sonaldo is underrated anymore. I think he's just no. rated now, yeah, isn't he? He's I almost think people are rating him like where he is. Yeah. Al- almost approaching overrated, but for for now he's just rated, which is it's <laughs> nice. It's nice to when a, a great footballer and gets uh, the recognition he deserves. Yeah. yeah, no more, no less. And you had um and you had Lorente sort of getting back on the score sheet. Oh, the big beautiful well. man just so, with a glancing header. I think um yeah, and I, I think Spurs. Couldn't be happier with the, with their second half and and getting a, a three nil uh, win in the first leg at home. How sore do you reckon Vertonghen would have been after playing left wing back for him though the next day? 
Yeah, he would have. Uh, he was. He he just he was up and down that whole time. Like he was. Uh, he. he I don't think he could do that role. Natural. Yeah. He just looked like a natural. So yeah, the, does what he wants in the second half. In the second half. Yes, but so no, no Kane, no Ali as well. Um, boys, whose depleted win was more impressive uh, in this round of the Champions League? So Spurs or PSG? Because we'll get Ooh. to PSG in a moment, but I'm just going to ask you straight off the bat, which which uh, impressed you more? It's almost like who's more important, Neymar or Kane, to their respective well, sides? Well, I mean, I, I feel like it's, and we'll talk about it, but it, I mean, I would have said PSG, but then Manu's front line went down at, at in, in that game. so Probably a broader talking point about whether or not we were just overrating Man United sort of before the game. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. They, they they got found out a bit. But sticking with Spurs and Dortmund for the moment, let's face it, neither of these teams are winning the Champions League. Should either just be prioritising the league? Spurs are doing fine on both fronts, so just keep at it. Keep doing but both. Just, yeah. yeah, surprisingly so. I think we probably were all thinking a week, well, a month ago, uh, well, Spurs aren't going to do any well in the Champions League. They're not going to do any well in the league. They'll be lucky if they make Europa League next season. But amazingly, they're still in it on both fronts, which is kind of ridiculous. Like, I feel like Poch is just making fools out of all of us. Yeah. Um, and and Spurs, yeah, like yes, they've been doing well in the league, uh, but we did we did sort of have some um, basis on on which to sort of say they weren't going to do super well in this tie. They only just scraped into the knockouts via a draw with Barca B and Inter bottling it to PSV. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so um, it was, you know, and they haven't had a great record in Europe traditionally, but um, yeah, no, they they did they did very well here. Yes, they were at home, but let's let's see how they go in their away le- leg. But you'd think a three nil um, deficit would be a tough mountain for uh, Dortmund to climb. Yeah, and Dortmund's defence of late hasn't been holding up that well. So I think you know they'll, they'll sort of get out on the front foot in their game uh, in the in the second leg, and and that's just going to leave some holes. For any any chance that Dortmund can scrape back in at home? Nope. It's tough, isn't it? And Spurs are probably thinking, yeah, we can cop three as long as we get an away goal. And yeah, one away goal, much, and that's it's it's pretty tied over, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, all right, then let's move on uh, to the other big game um, that happened in this uh, week, this match week of the first uh, leg of the round of sixteen, which was United at home to PSG. Um, this one finished up two um, 0 to PSG. Tommy. Thoughts? I, I did not really see this one coming at all. I thought Man United were probably going to do. I thought you were going to tell me you hadn't seen, seen the game. game. Then yeah. I was going to be like, mate, you just get get off the get off the body now. <laughs> no, but yeah, no. I actually uh, I saw it and I was really surprised. Like um, Man United uh, started the game just uh, guns to the wall, guns blazing, but he pedal to the floor and just looked like they were just going to try and blow him away. And then after a sort of a a few minutes, their press just really dropped right off and then they started just trying to press almost one at a time rather than as a collective and it just didn't really work. I, and yeah, I agree, Tommy. I thought, man, you looked okay right at the start. but then you First sta- five minutes, they looked you started, electric, didn't they? Yeah, but you started seeing a few holes sort of developing and Mbappe was sort of lurking and Di Maria started to get a foothold on the game and, and that's when I kind of thought, oh, oh no, they're, we they're in trouble, yeah. Well, it's so. almost as if it just dawned on PSG. They're like, hold on, these guys aren't that good. I reckon we, we can have a go at them here and, and they did and 
they they found another gear and and then by the second half they were just in in absolute control of the game and as you said George um, the two injuries in the first half to uh, Lingard and it Martial would have, it, really it did, it did start, it, I mean it, the the guys that came on it was it, Matter and um, Sanchez wasn't it yep yeah and I mean they're different types of players and too. they they were just played in like for like as well I think there needed to be a tactical yeah. shift as well Solskjaer didn't actually change the setup well, I there. do I feel bad for him in that respect I mean you set up one way you you have you have your guys drilled to play in a certain way and, and then obviously the the plans you know go fall fall apart when the two guys go down and they went down and i think martial tried to stay on till half time but you know it, it sort of would have would have thrown a spanner in the works and 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 solshai didn't respond probably with a tactical change where he could have yeah and um after that first goal went in uh, early in the second half you could see the wind was just knocked out of United's sails. But I mean, how how good was Mbappe getting getting in in the box there? Yeah, his, oh, for his goal that was, and and he he started his run up um, a bit late as well, and and just still managed to get in between the There's two United centre backs. Ten, 10 yards where he covers about two or three yards on the other two, and, you and can the see timing by, of the run as well. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, uh, this sort of. I remember Colby, you uh, and, and you saw him live at the World Cup, and you could just see yeah. like uh, he his turn of turn of foot is incredible yeah. like lightning there, there are guys that like are probably when he's at 75 percent like that's most players sprinting and then he just has the ability to just turn it on doesn't he it's freakish so it, it brings up an interesting point though we're talking about mbappe is is he better suited with di maria and and, and him playing a sort of that and him playing that lone role up front instead of a, a neymar or cavani well he showed that he can certainly do it I don't know that he quite has the the centre forward play that um, Cavani has because he's a pr- he's pretty complete forward, um, but yeah, he's shown that he can he can definitely do a job there, playing yeah, uh, playing I as mean, a lone man up front. I would never say you wouldn't have Na- you you wouldn't want Neymar on the team, but the the way PSG play without Neymar is interesting. Like they play more of a as more of a team game, whereas they would just feed Neymar and let him sort of create on his own. So it's interesting. It's a bit reminiscent of Brazil and how things kind of don't really work if Neymar's either not there or not up to his yeah. best. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they they would definitely be very happy with that result. And I think, you know, well played to PSG. for And Variety, I thought, also was was really, really good. And, yeah, and particularly that that he's not long back from injury um, and he had to do a big, big job in that midfield. And, and, and I sort of thought he, his sort of role and, and he, he really took it to Pogba, um, who played pretty well, but uh, I think... Except for... Yeah, except for, <laughs> yeah, in, interestingly, uh, yeah, having having a break in the second leg, so... This could have quite easily been any of our own goal, couldn't it? Him getting sent off. Yeah. I, so I, what did you think about the sending off? Did you think it was a bit soft? Do you think he deserved it? Well, he just had a brain snap or what? If, if we're talking about the, 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 the start of the game, I, I thought it was really interesting. It was a very high-intensity start to the game, and the ref was, was handing out yellows pretty much like they were bloody lollies he handed yeah. out 10 yellows in this game so i knew someone was going to get yeah. sent off it was just a it was Question just a, of who. who yeah so i mean if if you take it on um the the way he the guy was refereeing then yeah i mean if for consistency i, I suppose but yeah i mean it, it is it is a bit of a dumb one from pogba and uh you know and and i think um man U fans would would, would sort of be saying um you know that psg deserved a red as well um who was it? The guy that scored the first goal, Kim Pembe. Yeah, Kim Pembe it, was sort of yeah. That's that was the that was the sort of big talking point from a United. 
perspective that um, Kempembe shouldn't have been on the pitch for his yeah, goal. Yeah, but it doesn't doesn't discount the fact that you know Pogba, you know shouldn't have, shouldn't have got the the red card there, and and he's really exposed them for the second leg, I think. Yeah, or particularly because of the form he's in as well, he's really let his team down by not not being there for them because he's you know he's their their best player at the moment. Yeah, well, he's like we talk about talisman in like sort of world football and I Good think word. There's, there's no bigger talisman at the moment than um, Pogba for Man United. Like he's really been driving the forward. Yeah, Rashford's been getting a lot of the goals, but Pogba has been making them, scoring them. He's He's been a very, very good lately. Who's going to do the Pogba run-up if they get a pen? Do you reckon Martial could do it? No. Injured. <laughs> on one leg, maybe. Well, it'd be really slow then, wouldn't it? Yeah. would be hopping. Um, thoughts? Some of the other players um, stood out uh, for good and for bad as well. I've heard some mixed reviews on Ashley Young, boys. What did you make of his performance? Yeah, I thought uh, he, he struggled. Um, you know, he, uh, he was sort of found out, I think, a little bit. It was kind of going to come a point where Ashley Young was only going to be... Te- going to, uh, use your words only going to be able to take them so far and I think they're starting to sort of hit that point now that they're a little bit more of a progressive team um, under Solskjaer and maybe they could get by with Young under Mourinho but they really do need someone a little bit a little bit fitter, a little bit um, more able to get up and down. Yeah, that's that's basically what I've heard and, and read since the game. Um, some pretty, and even more scathing takes than that on <laughs> Ashley Young. Um, but watching the game um, live... Remember this was the same, like, Ashley Young who was starting for England at the yeah, World Cup yeah, I mean, long yes, ago as well. Yes, like. he's not the player that he once was. But I thought, um, other than Pogba, to be honest, he was probably one of the only players in that United team who looked like he really wanted it. Like When he, yes, when he got Demaria and pushed him into the... Uh, yeah, pushed him into the <laughs> advertising real, wasn't it? Um, and, uh, yeah, he, so he, he was one of the only players who I thought looked really up for it, even well, despite him, a, him a having, leader, lacking a bit of pace. Yeah, he, he, he's one of the few people that's sort of driving that United squad forward and saying, this is how we do it kind of thing and has been for probably the last maybe two years. Andrew Herrera kind of does it a bit, but yeah. it doesn't have the same weight of personality, I don't think, that Young does. But, it, I mean, it goes to show that, you know, Di Maria had his best game, uh, you know. How fired up would he yeah, be let, let's, for that? Let's talk about Di Maria's game then. Um, he assisted both goals, um, got shoved into the advertising hoardings, but when he got... Did you see when he got uh, one of the assists, he just yells out to the United crowd, fuck off, putter. Yeah. Uh, that was, <laughs> right into the microphone. It was really, uh, really something. Uh, and someone chucked a bottle of beer at him and he got yeah. up and motioned to drink it as well. He just ha- had, um, you know, it was a very successful return to Old Trafford but this for him. Is, he would have been having fun, right? Yeah. But I mean, when he plays like that and he, he sort of... Another you didn't want him moment. Yeah, and it, yeah. he was really fired up. And you don't see that, I think, enough from him like he he's world class when he's on it and he, he was he's just really, not on it enough is he no and i mean although he was a, almost on it that um against man united what sorry referencing the beer again oh, oh, oh no, tommy sorry. tommy yeah, this is because you're doing feb fast mate you just got <laughs> yeah, beer just, on the brain and you just you're not you're not yourself just, when you're sober i just want a beer well, he's, <laughs> he's, he's giving uh tuchel some headaches when uh you know all the the, the front three come back or the sorry cavani and neymar True, yeah. I guess the difference is he's he's good enough and flexible enough to kind of be able to play through the middle if required, but yeah, anyway. Uh, Mbappe as well, obviously, we talked about him. 14, average, 14 average goals uh, in 24 Champions League appearances, boys. To put this into perspective... OG Ronaldo uh, made 40 appearances for 40 appearances for 14 goals. Mbappe's 21. 
Yeah, but I think when OG Ronaldo played, they the the Champions League was probably less. There's less group games. It wasn't as expanded. So I'd take that stat with a bit of a grain of salt. So yeah, uh, say say what you want about the grain of salt, but that's that's some that's a crazy stat. I mean, quality. So I think the the biggest biggest thing uh, to talk about with regards to Mbappe and sort of what his ceiling is is. We've seen Ronaldo sort of reinvent himself at least twice throughout his career. Um, he started out as sort of like that tricky winger and then he converted and then he he was able to produce not only assists and, and to open teams up with his dribbling, but he became a prolific goal scorer. And now he's kind of converted himself into, I guess, just a prolific centre forward who's still obviously excellent on the ball. Um but Mbappe right now, yes, he's a great centre forward. Wait, were you referring to OG Ronaldo or to Cristiano? Cristiano, oh, sorry, there. Right, Cristiano. right. I do need a beer, don't I? <laughs> yeah, mate. You are just having a mare. <laughs> just sub myself now. Huh? Where's Damo? Get him on the blower. Um, but yeah, no, Chris, Cristiano is um, are still some some way away uh, or, uh, in the Champions Mbappe, League yeah. to Mbappe. Mbappe, you know... Is, if if he stays injury free and he keeps his head and he develops like we all think he's going to develop, yeah, maybe he could catch Cristiano uh, he's at some not, point. He's but. not quite the the main man, yeah. Yet, so that'll be interesting to see how that progresses and whether that's at PSG or Real or, or wherever. So I think I think he's still playing and he's quite happy to play that sort of a little bit of the second fiddle or like you know um, the the whether they win or lose he he's not solely to blame whereas if Neymar's playing then the, all the scrutiny goes to Neymar so I think he quite likes that and it's good for him as a young guy like but it'll be interesting to see when he when when it's when it becomes basically his team yeah and just on um just on the teams and looking forward to the next leg um obviously United have copped two away goals here. Boys, uh, I read a stat during the week. Uh, United's last Champions League knockout win was in March 2014 against Olympiacos. Since then, uh, Leicester have been promoted, won the league, um, and have also won a Champions League knockout match. (laughs) Uh, Real Madrid have won the Champions League four times. Uh, Gerard, Kaká, Lampard, Pirlo, Xabi Alonso, Ronaldinho, Totti have all retired from professional football. So, boys, David Moyes remains the only Manchester United manager to win a Champions League knockout game since 2010-2011. And I think that's, that will remain. Uh, that was going to be my question, yeah. It's yeah. outrageous. I can't believe all of that. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, they've really uh, they've really not been the powerhouse in Europe. They once were, obviously, since uh, Fergie departed. Do you see things changing in the second leg? Nope. Nope. Not without Pogba. Moving on then, uh, Ajax hosted uh, Real Madrid... Um, at the Johan Cruyff Arena, uh, Real Madrid overcame an intense first half of total football um, with more than a little hope uh, help from the VAR um, to put themselves in the box seat to go through to the quarters. Uh, boys, um, I, I do have a, um, a recap of this game, but we've actually got a voicemail from friend of the show and Ajax fan, Louis, uh, with some of his thoughts on the game. Hi guys, here's Louis, your casual winger from Holland. Uh, a regular listener and a great fan of the pod. So you guys asked me to put in a few lines for the Ajax Madrid game played this morning. And yeah, happy to do so. As you would imagine, I'm still fuming with the way the game went down because I feel Ajax played very well, but it wasn't reflected in the final scoreline. So onto the game itself. Um, so yeah, the first half was a display of absolute total football um, that I wouldn't see from Ajax. It was delightful. It was so good. And we pressed Real Madrid from the first whistle. Um, 
straight away Ajax were the dominant team by not giving Real Madrid uh, players an inch on the ball and winning every second ball. So, yeah, Real Madrid were nowhere to be seen. And the only thing we were lacking, I think, was um, in the final third where we where we lacked or missed the vision and calmness in front of the goal because we had some clear-cut chances, but we didn't finish them off. And, um, yeah, Tanakh chose to play uh, Dusan Tadic as a, yeah, like a number nine. Basically, he was more like a number 10, so he's dropping into the midfield quite regularly, and that opened up the gaps for... Uh, uh, Donny van der Beek and David Neres to come into the um, the gaps behind Sergio Ramos and um, yeah that worked out really well we cre- we created a lot of chances that way um, yeah so like I said we didn't play Danish delight Casper Dolberg as a number nine today um, he's not in the best form so um, we lacked a little bit of uh, finishing quality up front but we were really uh, good in pressing uh, Real Madrid this way so I I'm glad he chose this tactic. Um, yeah, and then there was that moment, the crucial 1-0 scored by Nicolas Taliafico, the Argentinian left-back from Ajax. And yeah, I can't wrap my head around it, what happened here. So the VAR, um, which basically in this match just stands for Video Assistant Real Madrid. Um, yeah, he was having a stroke for three minutes in his little dark room or wherever it is. Um, yeah, it's just ridiculous what went down there so i have a i have a question for you guys um should we really going into these technical um and millimeter offside things when yeah this beautiful game is not it's not improving this way we just i want to give the benefit to the attacking player and the attacking team um yeah just to create a more lively and open game so yeah what what we should what yeah what do we do with this um, even more because nobody from the Real Madrid team was um, protesting to this goal so I don't really know what happened um, and it's just yeah the VAR is such a such an animal it just kills games which isn't good um, so yeah I'm not a big fan um, and that's not only because of this game um, yeah, and when this incident was over, you kind of had that niggling feeling that, yeah, okay, we're playing Real Madrid like 10-time champions, uh, winners of the Champions League. So, yeah, this might not end well. And, yeah, what you think happened, might happen, happened in the end as well. So I'm really keen to know what you guys thought of this match. And, uh, yeah, cheers. Yeah, thanks very much for that, Louis. Um, to your question uh, about whether we're going to hide behind minor infringements um, for the VAR or whether the benefits should be given to the attacking team, I think we talked about that before, actually, because we've had, had another VAR incident in the A-League. But, yeah, uh, my my view is that, um, yeah, you should basically save VAR for the, the actual howlers, uh, the, the really bad calls and not sort of bring it in for technicalities. Um, and I think I heard uh, Ten Hag in the, the press conference after the game sort of saying that he was a bit confused about uh, what, what even the um, VAR were reviewing, whether it was the, the potential offside or obstruction on the keepers. Boys, uh, what did you think about the, the first VAR call in this game? It's just confusing. Like, should should I, the goal have stood? I don't really understand still why it wasn't allowed. Like, and nothing's really been cleared up, has it? It's a bag of bag of cash from um, some, the UEFA mafia, or yeah, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think if it, if it's like that, they've got to come out and clearly say what the decision was and why. 
Yeah, because there was obviously another VAR incident in the game in the lead-up to Asensio's goal. Uh, one of the um, Ajax players was basically just taken out off the ball. Um, and, and that was reviewed by the VAR, but then the decision not given for a seemingly blatant off-the-ball foul. Uh, thoughts on that one? That, that one was probably even more confusing because, like, that was something that I would say was a oh, genuine yeah, foul. Yeah. Like, that is a howl of that. And, look, you would expect that sometimes, yeah, the referee's not going to be watching all parts of the field um, and it may not see things like that. But that's why VAR does exist. So, VAR has sort of stopped the one that they should have let go and not picked up the one that they should have got. Brilliant. Yeah. So overall, boys, um, I think Louis uh, wrapped it up when, you know, he sort of said it was, yeah, it was total football. Um, You know, Ajax were a bit unlucky uh, not to get the result. They played played great football, um, you know, had a lot of opportunities, probably should have taken a few more of them to be fair. I think, yeah. I mean, if they they had a a striker, you know, a proper number nine, you know, it would have been interesting to see. Because um, Casper Dolberg would... came on late and missed two yeah. sitters as well. Like, it looks like the occasion sort of got to him a little bit. But um, I think, you know, that if they play the way they played and come out with that aggression in the in the second leg at the Bernabeu... They're still in it. Oh, yeah. That, that away goal really gives them every hope of... Um, uh, no, it's a home, home goal. Yeah, yeah. Two goal. away goals. Yeah. So, actually, you know, it's going to be tough, but... I think they can score, so it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it means uh, they need to score at least two to, two yeah. at the Bernabeu. That's yeah. going to be really tough. Oh, I don't see Ramos them going out. through. Yeah, Ramos, Ramos out, but um, I still don't see them going through. Um, they they were buoyed by the uh, the home crowd at the the Young Cruyff Arena, and it was a proper Boyd. football crowd too, um, as opposed to. As opposed to the crowd at United. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Hey, you set me up for that one. Uh, in other Champions League results, uh, Roma got up against Porto two one at home. Um, this this was the away goal that I was that I had in my in the back yeah. of my mind. I don't, this this don't does make things interesting. I propose think. to go through too much unless you think there's a lot to talk about, boys. Uh, yeah. can, can Porto pull it back at home? There's a chance because one nil here and they go through. One nil to Porto. I think Zeko is is uh, and Zaniolo, Ed and Zeko, Zeko, Zeko. Sorry, excuse <laughs> my pronunciation, but I, I think Lucy Rome... Zelich would be having <laughs> a heart attack. Well, and because it's in Serie A, Andy would be too. Mm. Anyway, I think Roma have got too much for Porto. All right, uh, we'll move on then to our previews of Week Two of the Champions League. So, boys, the second week of the first leg of the round of 16 um, kicks off midweek, uh, another Tuesday, I think it's Tuesday, Wednesday morning Australian time. Um, kicking things off, uh, Leon are going to host Barcelona. Um, could this be a tricky fixture for Barcelona at home, boys, Leon? I know given City and others uh, problems in Europe. In a word, no. I don't think so, but... Uh, <laughs> I think uh, it'll be interesting to see Memphis uh, on the big stage again, and he seems to sort of lift for those um, for, the, for these European occasions. But I, I, st- I still think Barca are heavily favoured. So that for you guys. Um, Barcelona have reached the Champions League knockout stages for the fifteenth consecutive season. Uh, any any guesses for who has reached the knockout stages more often than them? Real Madrid, spot on. They've done it 22 times consecutively. I think, yeah, Bayern would be close as well. Not to put you on the spot. Yeah, I don't know if that's that. (laughs) (laughs) Probably a good shout. Really testing Tommy's uh, stat knowledge here. 
Um, all right, I think we're a clean sweep on this one, um, and I'm looking forward to reporting next week uh, on Leon's big victory over Barcelona, seeing as we're all picking Barca. Uh, moving on then, uh, Liverpool um, hosting Bayern Munich at Anfield. Uh, so Liverpool go into this first leg, slight favourites by all accounts, um, but I think it's going to be close. Both teams are in good form with only one loss in their last five. Um, in terms of the teams, uh, Muller, uh, as you might remember, is going to be out uh, f- from that uh, karate kick he put on um, Tagliafico in the Ajax game. Um, and Liverpool um, will also have a patched up back line still with Gomez still out and Virgil van Dijk suspended for this one. Um, Bayern, uh, yeah, have got a, a bit of a slow back line, which could be a good matchup for Liverpool. Um, and you have to go back to the 70s for the last time Liverpool lost to Bayern. Um, and Bayern still haven't scored at Anfield, uh, where Liverpool have got a great record in Europe. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Liverpool are going to get up uh, 1-0 in this one. I don't. I, I cannot see Liverpool uh, keeping a clean sheet without Van Dijk playing. So I, that's going to be a real test. I don't. He's played just about every minute, I, I believe, of every match yeah, in all yeah. competitions. So I think. Yeah, I think the the bookmakers have got it wrong. I, I would sort of slightly favour Bayern. I think. I don't think Bayern's defence, you know, is, has been performing that great. They've, they've been in good form lately, but I, I still think that Liverpool without Van Dijk, like you, you just lose so much. From an organisational perspective, calmness, confidence. Saying, you're saying well, Lovren can't hack it? Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Will Lovren play? Is he fit? Uh, I'm not sure about Lovren's fitness. It may may end up being um, uh, Fabinho or someone like Jordan Henderson. Oh, <laughs> in the back wow. line. And then so, James Milner at right back, probably. So I think I think Liverpool will have problems. I think Trent will play right. Back. Okay, Trent. I'm just saying the, 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 this sort of patchwork defence going into it, such a big game. Um, oh, but those Anfield Knights, though, George. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's no, funny you mention that because Liverpool are actually unbeaten in their last nineteen consecutive European games at Anfield. Oh, thanks for that, Tommy. <laughs> do you know? Do you know who the last team to beat them was in in European competition at Anfield? At, at Anfield, I do not know the answer to that. George? Bayern. Nope. <laughs> Come on, take a guess. Real Madrid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, good. No, so I think it'll be it'll be a cracking game, and I, and I I I I mean this this is the sort of game that you know Liverpool you you you'd want them to to bank a result and and put the pressure on Bayern in the second leg. So and will they? No, I don't think so. I think I, I can see it probably being a draw with goals. Tommy. And until I didn't realise Van Dijk was actually out for this one, so this I was probably leaning towards Liverpool at Anfield, but geez, this this is going to be tough for them. I think without without Van Dijk, I think this could be a draw. We'll go one all. Good o. Uh, we've got um, Atletico Madrid and Juventus up next, uh, and we've got. Uh, Andy Corpinitas returning to the show. He's left us a couple of voicemails uh, because he's got a couple of a couple of horses in these races, uh, being a Juventus and a Manchester City fan. So uh, I'll play the first... Conflict. Of, conflict of interest. <laughs> I'll play the first of those for you now. Atleti and Juventus are the two teams that the likes of Real, Barca and PSG have all dreaded playing and were all scared to draw for the round of 16. And this tie has been pumped up and, and is still seen as by most, I think, as the real tactical battle of the round of 16. Uh, which and that's some call given what we've seen from PSG and Tottenham. So it'll be interesting to see who can out-tactic who, uh, given that neither team's really in the best form at the moment. 
Juventus, for example, have dropped only six points in the league all season, two of which were against Parma two weeks ago, and they were pegged back from 3-1 to draw 3 all. They've also since been dumped out of the Coppa d'Italia by Atalanta, and they've been without both Douglas Costa and Juan Cuadrado, but the real difference maker for them, I think, has been being without their backline stalwarts of the BBC for the first time in forever knows, and uh, I've got to say we really have been buoyed by the return of Leonardo Bonucci, who made his return last night in the 3-0 win over Frosinone. He actually got a goal for himself, Leonardo, and it wasn't the prettiest thing, and certainly nothing like those scored by Dybala and Ronaldo, but they'll be very pleased to see him back, especially with both Chiellini still sidelined and Benatia now plying his trade in the Middle East. Uh, Atleti, on the other hand, have their own injury problems. They're going to be without Diego Costa, Coque and Lucas Hernandez. And they're another team that can sort of find form but not necessarily maintain it. They've been uh, unbeaten for 19 games before they lost to both Betis and Madrid uh, last week. In La Liga, they've conceded just 17 goals, however, in 23 games, which is pretty impressive by more or less all European standards. So this looks like, for all money, quite a difficult fixture for both teams, but I would be giving Juventus the edge, uh, firstly because they have a manager who I think is slightly superior when it comes to making adjustments mid-game in Max Allegri, but also they have another guy that you may have heard of called Cristiano Ronaldo, who has scored a... uh, Career best, 22 career goals against Atleti. Uh, I'm sure you remember some of the big ones, certainly in the Champions League. I think he's had seven or eight. Uh, So he will be looking to make the difference. He's actually only scored more goals against one other club in Europe, and I wonder if you know who it is. Uh, For those of you playing at home, the answer is Juventus. So at least that's one thing that Max and the rest of the team won't have to worry about because they've got that guy on their side. I'm giving this one to Juventus. Well, thanks very much for that, Andy. Uh, at least I assume it was Andy because it came from Andy's messenger account. But with that, uh, with that uh, English accent that's starting to develop from his uh, very short time uh, over in London, I was beginning to question. He uh, sounds like a bit of an imposter for mine. <laughs> wasn't Andy? It was Andy yeah. Andrew? Um, so yes, uh, Andy's uh, picking Juventus um, to get up in this one. Surprise, surprise. Um, being a difficult fixture for both teams, I think that's right. Boys, do you think uh, Allegri's the superior manager here, Allegri well, or Simeone? I think um, I think it's a it's a cracking tie. Uh, Simeone's just signed a, a contract extension to keep him at Atletico as well. So for another, uh, I think till twenty twenty two. But um, I I thought uh, Costa had returned to training, so I was sort of, you know, I thought that would give give Atletico a, a, a real a real sort of impetus up front with with Griezmann and, and Costa. Um, I don't know how fit Costa is and whether he will actually start or whether he'll be on the bench, but I, th- I think he's back in training. So um, I, I, I would favour Juventus, but I, I, I mean, if, if Costa's fit and firing, then I, I think it, it, it creates some, a headache for, for Juventus's defence. It's almost a shame that this matchup has happened now rather than at like the semi-final stage because this is two teams that would be hoping to make it at least that far. Yeah, well, with um, Atleti hosting, well, uh, the the final of the Champions League being hosted in Atleti Stadium, though, gee, they'd be hoping to be there. But um, yeah, uh, you know, I've got um, thirty dollars on Juventus to to win the 
win the whole thing that I that I put on six months ago. Ooh, so, big spender, <laughs> <laughs> confident <laughs> man. This, confident this man. is a uh, fifty percent larger than my normal twenty dollar cap for all betting. Uh, so uh, I'm going to say Juventus are going to go through and keep my grand hopes uh, of a seven to one return alive. I think this this has the hallmark <laughs> of a, a really tight um, tight contest, but this is this is the sort of game where your Cristiano Ronaldo get, gets gets a goal. That's what they bought him for. Yeah, and I think I think it'll probably happen. Interesting. Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest a draw, uh, one all. Wow. Uh, Juventus is going to go through for me. Yep. Uh, f- rounding out uh, this first um, round of 16 fixtures uh, is Schalke hosting Manchester City, and we have a voicemail from Andy Corpinitas on this one also. So City and Schalke are facing each other for the third time in European Cup competition. Uh, the previous versions were the 1970 Cup Winners Final and I think the UEFA Cup in the 2008 group stages. Now, City are unbeaten in their last seven Champions League games against German opponents. Uh, in fact, the last time they lost to a German side was against Bayern in September 2014 when their manager Pep was in charge of Bayern. But uh, Schalke, on the other hand, their last three UCL appearances have all ended in the round of 16. I, for one, don't really know what to make of Schalke this season. I think they did incredibly well last year to finish behind Bayern in the Bundesliga uh, in second, but they sort of struggled to live up to that this year. I think domestically they sit about 14th, which is just two places off relegation in the Bundesliga, and uh, they've only sort of won one point of their last nine in the league. That said, uh, Schalke also scored six goals in the group stages, which was the lowest tally amongst all the clubs that went through, although they did manage to keep the second highest number of clean sheets after Dortmund, but, you know, we all saw how that worked out. Uh, City, on the other hand, have been particularly dominant, obviously, of late, and uh, they've won eight of their last ten games in the league by at least two goals. Uh, as you guys will know, and you know, I'm sure some of these matches have already been talked about, one in particular, but they uh, that includes a few cheeky 9-0, 5-0, and, uh, yeah, one 6-0 win. Uh, injury-wise, City are more or less at full strength. The only long-term outs are Ben Mendy and, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, Vincent Company with a muscular injury. So he will be unavailable for selection, but I don't think that will worry City too much. I think they should be fairly comfortable here and... Uh, Probably wrap this one up in the first leg. Thanks again, Andy. Uh, So we're taking that to mean a pretty comprehensive win uh, for City away at Schalke here. I would hazard a guess to say. I don't see any uh, reason why Schalke's going to do anything surprising here, boys. Anything different from that from you? No, I hope Schalke really, really gets stuck into City though, because uh, in a in a week's time is the um, AFL Cup final. So I, I mean, I can't see City losing this uh, game. Schalke might dig up the pitch like Newport did to make them feel like they're playing on a rough League Two ground. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't work, did it? So no, <laughs> it's think... like they're playing against some Swedish farmers or something. Yeah, well, they're mm. tougher here. Yeah, it's a, you know, real, real cauldron atmosphere. It was, it was. It really, it really came through the TV. Anyway, no, I, I can't see City losing this, and and I, I think, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good draw for them, and 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 they'll just continue to score. Well, boys, um, with no Premier League this week, we've somehow managed to still go past the ninety-minute mark. Um, at, 
don't know how we've done Apologies. that. Apologies. But we're, you know, if you're still listening, it's been gold the last What are you doing with your life? Why are you here? Um, you know, you've probably been to work and come home again by, <laughs> and gone back again by this time, depending on how long your commute is. But, you know, thanks very much. Spe- speaking of people that can't last 90 minutes, Central Coast didn't last 90 minutes and ended up conceding one, which <laughs> meant they drew one all against Sydney for those playing along at home. Is anybody really surprised? But anyway, uh, if you do want to catch up with us uh, before next week, we'll be back on Sundays, of course. Um, but in the meantime, we'll be around on Twitter and Facebook at More Than A Game Podcast. Uh, until then, thanks very much. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.